Welcome to the sermon webcast of Good News Lutheran Church of Mount Horb, Wisconsin. The following sermon was preached on Sunday, February 11, 2018, on the basis of 2 Corinthians 4, verses 3 through 6. There's a reason why we don't say, I'll believe it when I can touch it. Or for that matter, why we don't say, tasting is believing. Or for that matter, why we don't say, I'm going to need to smell it for myself. You probably know how each one of those expressions actually goes, right? When it comes to our senses, those faculties through which we experience the world around us, the one that we tend to trust the most is our sight. In fact, we kind of operate under this assumption that the information that our eyes provide to us is completely objective, completely impartial, and therefore completely reliable. We sort of operate under the assumption that it is simply the job of our eyes to, to collect as much information as possible from the world around us, and then on the basis of that raw data, our minds form perceptions and assumptions and expectations about how the world works and what the world is like. And yet, in reality, it's not quite as simple as that. The interaction between our minds and the world around us that is mediated by our eyes is actually much more of a two-way street. There are preconceived notions, expectations, and assumptions that we already have that actually determine how we experience the world around us, including the things that we see. You might almost say that the information that is being passed back and forth between our eyes is is kind of going in both directions. A simple illustration of this is an optical illusion, like the one you see up on the screen. You look at that image, and it seems pretty obvious that tile A is much darker than tile B. But the reason it seems that way is not because of the objective information that is passing through your eyes. No, the reason it seems that way is because your brain is telling you that the shadow that is being cast over tile B actually means that tile B is much lighter than it appears to be. And so in reality, it is your brain, not just your eyes, that causes you to see that picture that way because in reality, the objective information is that tiles A and B are exactly the same color. Why is this important? Well, throughout the season of Epiphany, we've been talking about some of the deep and profound needs that all people have, that all people are really on a quest for. And each week, the message has been that the one who can give us those things in the fullest and richest measure is none other than Jesus. Jesus is the one best equipped to give us a solid sense of identity, to provide us with a loving and accepting community, to give us a clear and driven purpose for our lives. Jesus is the one who can give us all of those things. And yet, for reasons explained in the verses in front of us this morning, sometimes those very things that Jesus gives us can be held out right in front of our very eyes, and yet somehow we can still come to the conclusion that maybe they're not all they're cracked up to be, and maybe they're not everything that we have been looking for after all. And so as we wrap up this Epiphany season today, we very much need the reminder that is given us in these verses from the Apostle Paul, and that reminder is simply this. Don't believe your eyes. Why not? Well, Paul puts it this way. 
He says, our gospel is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So on the one hand, you've got Jesus, who, as Paul says, is the very image of God. Everything that God is, Jesus is. Everything that God wants to give us, he gives to us in and through Jesus. On the other hand, you've got Satan. And one of Satan's favorite tricks is to offer us his own versions of what God wants to give us and to make those versions seem more enticing and more appealing to us. Now, if we could look at things objectively, if we could see reality as it truly is, it would be very easy for us to see that what Jesus offers us is, in fact, the real thing, the authentic version, and what Satan offers us is nothing more than a cheap knockoff. Jesus brings us the brilliant flawless, certified diamond from the actual jeweler. Satan brings us the fake, worthless cubic zirconium sold by the guy wearing a trench coat and an eye patch selling jewelry out of his car trunk in some back alley. The difference should be obvious. But notice what Paul calls Satan. A unique designation and one that is sort of surprising. Paul calls him the God of this age. In other words, Satan, Satan's influence permeates every single facet of life on earth. Satan's influence infiltrates every nook and cranny of life on earth, so much so that sometimes it's hard even to detect it. And so as a result, Satan convinces people not just to accept what is an inferior version of what God has to offer. Satan actually convinces people that what he is offering is better than what God offers us in Jesus Christ. Satan causes people to be blind, to see things not as they really are. Now, Paul says that in the case of unbelievers, this blindness is complete, this blindness is total. And yet, even among us Christians, we too can suffer from what you might call temporary or partial blindness. Take those very things that we've been talking about throughout the Epiphany season. Yes, Jesus offers us those things, but Satan offers us his own version of them too. Take identity. Satan tells us where we can find identity. He tells us to find our identity in our career accomplishments or in our paycheck. He tells us to find our identity in how good of a spouse or a parent we are. He tells us to find our identity in how enlightened and open-minded we are or how principled and moral we are. He tells us to find our identity in how beautiful or how fashionable we are. And then Jesus comes along and he tells us that the real place to find our identity is at a baptismal font. That through the simplest of acts and through no merit of our own, we receive an identity as a child of God that is far better than any we could ever achieve on our own. Or take community. Satan tells us where we can find community. He tells us that the relationships that we should value most, that we should invest in, that we should be willing to sacrifice anything for are, of course, our family members and then also our close circle of friends, maybe to a lesser degree, people we get along with, people we have lots in common with, people who cheer for the same sports teams as we do or who vote the same way in elections as we do. And then Jesus comes along 
and he says to find community in his church among a group of people that has all kinds of flaws and all kinds of failures, among a group of people who often fails to practice what they preach, among a group of people who in many cases are different from us in the way that they think and act and talk. Jesus says that's where you can find a community that cannot be rivaled. Or finally, what about purpose? Satan tells us where we can find purpose and meaning in our lives. We can find it in trying to climb up the corporate ladder, trying to get straight A's in school and get into the college of our choice, trying to be able to afford anything that we can possibly want, basically anything that serves our own self-interests. But then Jesus comes along and he says that real purpose is found not in living for yourself, but in living for him. And in making his greatest desire your greatest desire. Namely, to have all people be rescued for an eternity in heaven with him. He tells us that that will give us a purpose. That will convince us that our lives have meaning more than anything else can. You can maybe see why it is so very easy for Satan's optical illusion to trip us up. Rather than seeing reality as it truly is, Satan's influence can also infiltrate our minds. It can give us preconceived notions about what identity and community and purpose really look like. And so as a result, when when Jesus comes bearing these wonderful gifts, it's so very easy for us to look at them and think maybe they're not all they're cracked up to be. Maybe they're not what we've been looking for. Maybe they're not worth having and holding on to with everything that we have. That's why we need this much-needed reminder. Don't believe your eyes. So what's the solution, you think? In a certain sense, Paul says, nothing, really. It seems as though with these verses, Paul is answering some criticism by some of his opponents. Criticism about why more people weren't believing the gospel message that he was preaching. It seems as though people were saying things like, Paul, if this Jesus character is really everything that you've cracked him up to be, how, many, how come so many people don't want anything to do with him? And in response, Paul's message is that if the problem is caused by the God of this age, then really nothing from within this age can solve the problem. If our blindness is caused by the influence Satan has in our world, then the cure for that blindness isn't going to come from anything that's found within our world. Something foreign, something outside, something external needs to invade, needs to break through to open our eyes and help us see reality for what it truly is. And thankfully, Paul says, our God is in the business of doing just that. In fact, from the very first day of history, God has been doing just that. Paul talks about how in a world that is saturated with darkness, in a universe completely dark, God broke through and said, let there be light. Or take the example of Jesus, sort of the ultimate example of an optical illusion. In Jesus, God himself came down to earth to slay the ultimate dragon, to break through the unbreakable prison bars of death, to snatch from the jaws of hell a people for his very own. And what did that look like? It looked like a man 
rejected by his own people, abandoned by his closest followers, and put up on a cross so that his life could slowly wither away while pagans and criminals made fun of him. Jesus is the ultimate example of a situation where we cannot trust what our eyes see based on the assumptions and expectations we have for power and glory and victory, no one would look at what is happening on that cross and think that that is where those things are to be found. And so what does God do? He breaks in. He intervenes. On top of that mountain, Jesus' divinity broke through his ordinary human appearance so that Peter, James, and John could see it. And on the way down from that mountain, Jesus told his disciples to keep their eyes peeled for another instance where God would break through from the outside with something completely foreign and completely unexpected. In fact, so much so that when Jesus mentioned it, they didn't even understand what he was talking about. After Jesus died on the cross, God once again broke into our world by bringing forth life from the grave. Our God is in the business of breaking into the age ruled by Satan and opening our eyes to be able to see things as they truly are. So wouldn't it be nice if he did something like that for us today? Actually, that's exactly the point Paul is trying to make in these verses. The very same power that was present on top of that Mount of Transfiguration and that was present in Jesus' empty tomb is, in fact, still very much present among us. It's present right here in the gospel. And so Paul says that all he's going to do to break through the blindness of unbelief that is all around him in the world is simply continue to preach the gospel. He knows that the only place where the power can be found to cure us of our blindness is in that gospel message. And so as we close out the Epiphany season today, I wanted to make a little deal with you. See, I know how easy it is for us to fall for Satan's optical illusions, for the things that Jesus offers us to seem as though they're not cracked up to, they're not all they're cracked up to be, and that what Satan is offering us is actually more appealing. But I also know that right here among us and at our disposal, God has placed the one thing that has the power to break through that blindness, and it is the gospel. So here's the deal. For my part, I'm going to continue to preach it. Each and every week, never tiring of it, never moving past it. In fact, that's the very reason that starting this Wednesday, our church observes this thing that we call Lent. Why each and every year we follow step by step as Jesus travels to his cross. I will be the first to admit that the message of Lent is not quite as heartwarming as Christmas. It's not quite as inspiring and full of hope as Easter. It's certainly not very pleasant to people who want to think that they can't possibly be so bad that this is the way that it had to happen. And yet the message of Lent is the very heart and core of the gospel. And so it's what we need to hear. I'm, we're going to continue to preach it. And for your part, I want you to continue to hear it. 
not just when it's easy, not just when it's convenient, not just when there's nothing else going on, but even when there isn't, even when it's difficult. And I want you to hear it, not because it's instantly going to make some dramatic change in your life, that it'll instantly make you feel better or make all of your problems go away, but rather because God promises that the gospel has the power to cure us of our blindness, to change our expectations and assumptions for how life ought to be, and has the power to enable us to actually see life differently. And so it's not simply that you shouldn't believe your eyes. It's that you don't need to believe your eyes. Because as the gospel continues to do what it does in your heart, rather than you believing your eyes, your eyes are going to start believing you. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Good News Lutheran Church, visit www.goodnewslc.org.